the WSOP bracelet, that was like, was that a four or a five day event? Or? That was a two day event. Two day event. EPTs are like five day events. How do you, like, how do you prepare for these? Because they're long slogs. For a dealer, they can be a long slog. I can only imagine for you guys having to work out ICM, having to work out percentages. Do you eat well? Do you drink well? Obviously, you've just said that it was full fucking party mode for that yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, it was, I was pretty party mode for that one. You know, uh, I've, had, I've had results where I've been an absolute mess and I've still done well in poker tournaments. Like, <laughs> like I've, I've, I've full on had panic attacks like before I go play a tournament and then I go play the tournament and I won it. You know? Yeah. So, so like, uh, I wouldn't say that all those things are super relevant. Um, you know, what, what matters is practice. Yeah. You know, you put in the repetition and you, you look at the things as just variables and, and you, you're able to remove yourself from the motions of the situation to a certain extent. You just look at the variables and, you know, from your practice and your repetition, you, hopefully you know the right play, you know. And uh, that's really what it comes down to is just putting in the work, putting in the practice. I mean, like I said, I played a lot, a lot of tournaments, 50,000 just on poker stars alone, probably. Mm. And, and when, when you've put in that much volume, you know, you, you learn the right way to handle hands and you, your mind, your mind doesn't like some people that get deep in a tournament and you can watch them. They can't, they can't even sit in their chair. You know, they're like getting up and they're like bouncing around and you're just like, Oh man, this guy's drawing dead. This guy can't this guy can't like even sit in his chair. Like it's really just the sit in the chair game. If you can just sit in your chair, take it one hand at a time, you just make the best decision you have with the information you have. Uh -huh. then, then like, that's what you're doing. You're just trying to make one good decision after another and not really think too much about the big picture and just focusing on the task at hand with each individual hand. It's, sounds cliche. It's almost like a, like what a sports star would say to, to, you know, their, their answer to like big situation, but it's true. Like you just focus on what you know, and you know you just maybe make good decisions and the variables will play out the way they're supposed to play out and you can't control that you can't control the way the cards run out you can't control when you get an under like kings to aces or something you know like that just happens so yep. you just make the best decision you can let the results handle themselves and luckily for me in my poker career the results have handled themselves pretty well so just basically be comfortable and as long as you know abc yeah i mean just 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 stick to the variables you know you don't need to be some people might get a little nervous like oh i'm playing for this much money they start thinking about how is this money going to change my life and it's like i don't want to think about that until the end i don't even really want to look at the payouts until the end like obviously i know making big pay jumps matters mm -hmm. but like i i want to play for the win that's always how i've played and, and my record shows that like when i make final tables i usually make big results and and i'm playing for the win throughout the tournament and so I'm, pr I'm constantly pressuring people that maybe are a little more timid maybe are going to be paying cl closer attention to ICM maybe making some folds that they shouldn't be making and I was certainly a very active player back then I, mean, I would just raise like any hand from any position I didn't even care nowadays you can't do that kind of stuff so yeah so uh, that year was massive for you you done as I said you had the party uh, bracelet um, and then fast forward to October 2015 World Series of Poker Europe was getting held in a place very close to your heart, Berlin. Yeah. And you won that for 883,000 euro. Now, as far as I'm aware, this was quite stacked with heavily with some of the best players in the world at the time, primarily because this was then followed by EPT Malta. 
So it attracted right. a lot of the big names because they could kind of make it into like a month-long thing where they played Berlin and then they fired over to down to Malta. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So when I heard that it was it was announced that the World Series of Poker Europe was going to be held in Berlin, I was obviously very excited. I mean, Berlin was the place where my first big tournament success. And I'd just come off winning a bracelet, so I was feeling pretty high at that point in time. So I, I researched uh, the best place to rent, and I rented a place right across the street from Spielbank Berlin. And the, in, in the post-Dummerplatz, there's like a McDonald's right across yeah. the street. And we had a, the, the penthouse apartment above the McDonald's. It was oh, like okay. a five-bedroom place that we rented. Like, we could go out in the morning and have our coffee, and you could see the line of people lining up to get into the casino. So we could be like, oh, there's no rushing to get down there right now. They're not going to start the tournament on time, you know, whatever it may be. So we re I rented the place just to bracelet hunt, you know, and I, I stayed with Jeff Madsen and Dylan Lindy. And, uh, yeah, we just, we just put our whole heart and soul into the whole tournament series. I had a few caches here and there, nothing – Nothing big. I think I made a run one of the turbo events. And then the main event came around, which was, I think, slightly over 300 entrants. And it, you're talking like the cream of the crop, like all the Granus and Eric Seidel's and, and, you know, all the big names that have main event winners and bracelet winners and high rollers. They're all playing this. So like the 10K there honestly had like a much tougher field than like even a EPT 10K high roller because the EPT 10, 10K high rollers a little more diverse in the expertise level of the players. But this was just a super stacked field. I mean, I had nightmare tables throughout the entire tournament. But, you know, I just kept to my one – make one good decision at a time after another and, and stuck to what I do best, which is just controlling my stack and putting the chips in good. And, yeah, it worked out pretty well. I ran super hot in that tournament. Yeah. Um, there was a hand leading up to the final table um, with Eric Seidel. And you think that the persona or the perception of you having this hand with Vanessa might have played into your hands a little well here? Yeah, well, I mean, at that point in the tournament, I'd been running extremely well. Like I'd had uh, aces versus queens, aces versus jacks of my friend Oscar Arda, a Turkish player. Aces versus tens when we got to the final table of nine against uh, Johnny, who was a German backer at the time, and probably one of the best used to seven triple draw players in the world. Um, I busted him at the final table, aces to tens. And it, it kind of became like an ongoing joke. Like I just always had aces, you know. And we were playing seven handed. So it's for the final table of six. And uh, David Lopez, who, who was eventual runner up, was on the button one rotation. He opened and I looked down at like nine, seven suited. And I, t you know, I did like my mean mug fake tank thing and thought about three betting him. But I have Eric Seidel on my left is like second in chips, you know, and I'm chip leader at the point. So I fold and Eric Seidel thinks for a bit and he, he cuts out a raise and the kid just snap folds. So I turned to Eric and I was like, oh, I was thinking about raising there too, but I didn't have aces. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so the next rotation comes around. The same thing happens. David Lopez raises the button. And I look down and I have two red aces. And I cut out a three bet after some tanking, of course. And he gets back to Eric Seidel. And, you know, there's really not much incentive for him to get in a big confrontation with me at this point. I'm chip leader. He's second in chips. So he, when he four bets me, he cuts out a four bet. You know, I, I really actually think he's pretty strong. I don't think that he's just going to be doing this with like a blocker and just random stuff because it's kind of ICM suicide. You know, like his chip positions worth so much that pots that I don't open, he can open and take down quite easily with post-flop ICM pressure. So there's really no incentive for him to be getting out of line here. 
So he cuts out a four bet. And obviously the GTO strategy here would be to just call with aces and let him hang himself post swap. Because if he does have a big pair, he's probably going to put all the shakes in post. Sure. But, you know, I, I do get a little worried sometimes. Like, yeah, I have two aces in my hand. So the combos of ace-king that he has are cut by a significant amount. But they're still there. Still has eight combos. Yeah. Right? Which he has six combos of kings. And he has eight combos of ace-king. And if he does have the hand like that, I don't want him to get off post-flop. Because he's not going to hit anything. I have two aces sure. in my hand, right? So he's not going to hit a pair. So I... I five bet clicked it on him, which I think a lot of people would say is pretty bad because the standard would be just a call. And also, realistically speaking, there's only a couple hands I can do this with. Kings and aces, really. Like, that's it. And maybe even kings I don't do that with because if he does have aces, I don't want to get all yeah. the chips in against aces and then just be like, torch my stack, which is worth a ton of money at this point. So I might even just like call kings. But I felt like he was pretty strong, so I five bet clicked it on him. And you know, as a kid that grew up watching rounders and, and got, <laughs> like learned how to play the game with my stoner buddies in college, we, we have those famous scenes of Eric Seidel and Johnny Chan heads up in the World Series Poker Main event and Seidel's giving them the look, you know, and, and I swear this was like, it felt this, this whole hand with Seidel was very surreal. It felt like it was out of a movie. It felt like out of rounders, you know, he's giving me the same look he's given Johnny Chan and like I, I have to imagine that when I five bit clicking on him that he's thinking about the ace nine hand because it's such a famous hand at this point and there's very limited information on on my play and like how I play at that point I, I can't imagine Seidel has enough history with me to know that I only have aces in this spot so he tanks and tanks and tanks forever and eventually he's like I'm all in and ace king of spades so luckily I didn't call pre-flop otherwise he would have not lost his whole stack. Uh, so I guess that exploit five bet click worked, but it's definitely yes. not optimal. And then the flop just came like eight, four deuce, all red. And he was just like drawing dead on the flop. So not even a sweat. And then I secured half the chips in play, six handed. I mean, this is a super stack final table. I mean, Eric Seidel, Lucky Chewy, JC Alvarado, Killian Kramer, Felix Bleicher, David Lopez. I mean, it was just like super stacked. It wasn't a soft spot. In the no. life, honestly like they're all they're all guys that i would actually can rate higher than myself to be perfectly honest I, I have a lot of respect for that all the guys that are in that lineup so so uh yeah it was it was quite surreal and then you know i i came back two days later we had a full day off and then ended up ended up shipping it but it wasn't even a it wasn't like i just rolled to the win i mean i i wasn't even chip lead heads up at one point but uh but we made a deal heads up and and i ended up winning and, you know, it's kind of interesting, though, because this is probably the only World Series of Poker main event in modern history that had no live stream and no television production. <laughs> so here I'd, I'd come back to the city in 2010 where, like, I'd won this flagship tournament and it maybe got aired one time and then mm -hmm. swept under the rug because of the, you know, because of the connections to the robbery. They didn't really want to promote that tournament anymore. And then here now I'm, I'm winning like my flag. This is like really the flagship moment of my career is like winning the, the gold, the gold yeah. bracelet, with diamond encrusted, the World Series Poker European Championship. And my, my family can't even watch yeah. a live stream. And my dad, you know, he's like, oh, I was wanting to watch the TV show when it comes out. And then it just never came out. And I never really got an answer as to why it never came out. 
Um, I, I really have no idea, but it seems super strange to me. I don't know if there's something about me that uh, that they didn't like or something, or if they maybe everybody just left to Malta, and the room was pretty empty, so it looked didn't look like it had a great atmosphere. Maybe that's why they they cut it. But it would have been super nice to have that broadcast, not only for to see the the play and see the whole cards up to know if I was making good decisions, but also just to share the experience with my family and loved ones and us they could they could uh, see the the pressure of the situation that I handled myself in so but yeah that was uh that was a super interesting tournament. There's actually another hand from that tournament yeah, I was so, going to say the the five hands to go no it's not, and all that. Yeah, so at the end of the day, one day, I'm on a super tough table. Uh, Neil Farrell, John Juanda, Fedor Holtz, uh, this guy Elliot Smith, he's a pro from Canada, and myself are all at the table. And they announced the last five hands left in the night. I think this is maybe the end of day two or day three or something. And uh, they announced five more hands in the night. So you know what they do. They say, oh, okay, when the button, when the button yeah. gets to this position, you know, that's when we're going to finish. So we play four hands, but Juanda busts in one of them. So the button gets to the position it's supposed to be at within four hands. And I'm about to post a small blind. And I'm like, wait, aren't we supposed to play one more hand? And like, we have bags on the table. Like, mm -hmm. we're ready to bag up and be done. We have bags on the table. And, and, I, and the guy in the big blind is like, no, 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 we're, we're done. We're done. Because he's like <laughs> wanting to get out of pay the big blind, you know? And when I see him doing that, that's Elliot Smith. I was like kind of annoyed. I was like, oh, I don't want to let this guy get away with angle shooting his way out of the big blind. So even though it's against my incentive, because I'm the small blind, right? I still have to pay dead money. I, I call over the floor and everybody's kind of annoyed at me because they just want to go home. And I'm like, no, we have one more hand to play. So reluctantly, they, they shuffle up and deal, take the bags off the table and deal one more hand. Neil Farrell opens from under the gun. I'm in the small blind with ace queen of diamonds. I peel and Elliot peels in the big blind. The flop comes eight, seven, five, all diamonds. So I flop the nut flush. And I can't remember all the specific action, but the turn's like a blank black card. And I get stacks in on turn against Elliot, who, we, who I had been arguing with about whether or not the hand should even <laughs> take place, right? And he has six, nine of diamonds for a flop strip flush. <laughs> and I was super pissed. I was like, super pissed you can't even imagine like i was i went back to my apartment across the street and i was livid i was just like i cannot believe this is real like karma isn't the thing you know like this guy trying to angle shoot out of the big blind and like <laughs> and then he just flops the joint against my nut flush in like an unavoidable spot and uh i was super pissed you know and i was you know saying karma doesn't exist because this guy you know he should have he should have been on the opposite end of that you know cards don't lie and uh, but then I came back the next the next day and I just kept getting aces over and over and over again. So maybe karma did exist, yeah. maybe not in that specific instance. So it was definitely the the craziest poker hand I've ever played. I mean, I think the Vanessa Selps hand's obviously more famous, but like there's every once in a while there's like one of these hands where it's just like wow, the setup for this was just like unreal. I remember looking at Fedor Holtz after the hand and his like his jaw was like <laughs> on on the floor, like he couldn't believe what he just saw, you know. And, like, everybody was just like, oh, my God, what the hell just happened? Because, like, me and him were arguing. And then they just, like, deal us the sickest cooler of all coolers. And I lose, like, half my stack at the end of the day. So it was just – it was pretty wild. But, you know, it's nice to overcome a hand like that and, and still persevere through the tournament. And, obviously, I ran very well. But um, yeah. to, to take it down after something like that happens, I think it's pretty cool.
Yeah, because again, like we spoke about with the robbery, um, the first EPT uh, that you ever won, if that didn't happen, you might not have won the WSOP Berlin. So if if that didn't happen against um, Elliot, you might not have won the tournament. It's these little things, as pissed as you were at the time, yeah. you got to look back on it and think, well, actually, if we didn't play that one more hand, I might have busted on the feature uh, before the final table. So, you know, you, you kind of... These things are sent to try a sort of thing, you know? Right. And uh, actually, there's a parallel between all three of these situations we talked about. So the guy folding his hand face up the queens. Yep. Like, I was quite angry that he was going to show his rail what his hand yeah. was. I didn't want them telling him, don't fold that hand, you know? And I was angry. Uh-huh. And then when we came back from the European uh-huh. poker tour robbery, I was quite angry. angry right? <laughs> and then the next day, after I got nut flush to straight flush, I came back and I was quite angry. <laughs> So there might be something to motivating me when I'm quite angry or feel like I have something to prove. So Maybe it's the Scottish inside you. When you're an angry bastard, you do well. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Could be. <laughs> I, I didn't have the beard back then, so I probably didn't look as scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have got the iconic, uh, from what I've seen uh, live and on some of the television stuff, you had the iconic, like the American policeman glasses. You had that look. Was there anything behind like that, you know, like the glasses or was it just a thing that you thought you didn't want to give anything away? Um, Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like I have very honest eyes, so I don't want to, (laughs) I don't want to be showing people my eyes. Also, I mean, I'm pretty stoned when I'm playing poker tournaments too, (laughs) so I don't want people, people looking at me and being like, wow, you know, this guy's baked out of his skull or whatever <laughs> but in in berlin in 2010 when i won that tournament you know i would just sit behind my glasses like this and sometimes i'd just take a little nap you know <laughs> and i close my eyes and it would look like i'm paying attention and being intimidating plus like there's something to be said about having glasses and doing a stare down like i remember timex like mike mcdonald we got in this stare down competition where i had i had like my oakley holbrook glasses on and he's staring right at me. And it's like, I just close my eyes, you know? And he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not going to get a read off of me because I can close my eyes. And I'm not getting nervous. And it looks like I'm staring right back at him. And he would just, he would just crack up in a smile because like, it was like reflecting off of, he's yeah. just staring back at himself, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did the aviators. I did the, the Oakleys quite a bit. Um, I don't know how much I really wear sunglasses anymore, but like just given the gravity of the situation, plus like when you're on a TV stage, it is extremely hot. Mm-hmm. It is extremely bright. It's extremely straining on the eyes. And when you run a bluff and you're sitting there and somebody's staring at you, you can definitely feel your pulse rising. You can you can feel yourself welling up in the eyes, you know. And like I just wanted to hide that kind of stuff. Uh, so that was kind of the idea behind it. But I, it wasn't always that way. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when you see me on TV stage, I have sunglasses, though. But through the rest of the tournament, that's not always the case. Usually I would – I actually really enjoyed staring at people eye to eye, too, <laughs> especially once I made some enemies in the poker world. It was uh, okay. really nice to give them the stare down like I was going to rip their head off, you know. And uh, <laughs> I, I always called it mean mugging. Like, you just stare at them like you're going to – you're just mean mugging the fuck out of them and you're just going to rip their head off and, and even if you're folding like it's a it gets to you and you look down at seven deuce and you just stare at the guy like you're going to rip his head off for a few seconds and you fold it and the next time he opens you have aces and you do the same thing now the guy's thinking oh this guy was looking for a spot to come after me because he stared me down before and that's kind of some of the live poker stuff that i miss is like the little bit of 
messing with people's heads with body language and and uh you know sort of playing into people's emotional states and stuff like that so that's that's part of the stuff that i really miss like about method to the madness sort of thing something like that but over the years through poker and through magic the gathering you've made a lot of good friends um carter gill dylan lindy anna marquez stephen chidwick jeff madsen a whole that to be fair that could be the who's who of top 50 poker players ever um have you any stories about any of these, you know, any good times or any party times or any dodgy times? Well, I mean, Carter was, like I said, Carter was one of the first people I started traveling with. So he, when we lived together, he won a tournament to go to Sydney, Australia. And we kind of, it was like, we hadn't traveled before and we're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like he just won it sitting in our living room in Idaho uh -huh. and then got to go to Australia and he like went deep in the tournament and stuff. So when I, when I started traveling with him, in fact, the very first poker tournament I ever went to, was in 2008 at PCA, I was his guest. So he just added me onto his room and I flew down with him. So that was the first big poker festival I went to. And I won my way into the main event. Of course, I didn't sell any action. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't swap anything. But that was my first big poker tournament. So when I first started traveling, it was really a lot with Carter. Carter was being a little more proactive about getting on the live scene at that point, whereas Dylan was more playing online, being studious. So there, there was actually a separation there where I started traveling for the live circuit because I'd, I'd done very well online and I was bankrolled for it and I started winning seats for things. Dylan wasn't doing that, so, but Carter was. So when I first started traveling, uh, PCA, my first trip, uh, the first trip I actually qualified in where I got the hotel and everything was in Costa Rica in 2008. And then that summer during the World Series, I did quite well. I got like eighth in one of the first bracelet events I played. But, but when I went to Europe, so you referenced uh, 2008, uh, going to Barcelona the first trip. Bar Carter was on that trip as well. And this was my first European poker tour event. It was massive buy-in. It was like 8,000 euros. So my cash for like 15 or 16,000 was basically like just above him in cash. And when I busted, I was, we were getting pretty drunk and we went up to my room and I, I was just being an idiot. I took my alarm clock because I was like pissed that I busted out of the tournament. I took my alarm clock and smashed it against the wall right and I was like ah fuck it like whatever they can charge me for it well Carter took my phone out of the jack in the wall went to my balcony and threw the phone over the balcony onto the restaurant below us where the director of the EPT and the events manager I, I believe and and John Duffy were sitting at a table and they're just like eating and this all of a sudden this phone smashes it could have killed somebody, honestly. It was like super stupid and dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the next morning I had, I mean, we went out drinking. We just like left. We went out drinking all night. And the next morning I woke up with a hangover and a message on my phone from, from the director of the EPT saying, you need to have a conversation with me. And they threatened to throw me off the EPT on my very first trip. So that was, that was uh, pretty wild. But ultimately <laughs> they realized, they saw who threw it out the window and they, they gave Carter a stern warning and, and, you know, allowed me to continue to attend EPTs. But it was a, it was a few stops later because like when I first came to Europe, I wanted to play every European poker tour event. You know, I wanted to play all of them in season five, which I ended up qualifying online for all of them. But one of the stops was in Copenhagen and Carter and I went out drinking. Like I had just won $230,000 playing a full tilt F tops 5k. I think I got like third in it or something. It was my biggest online score. And I had been up all night playing it. And I had a flight booked 
from the city I was in to Copenhagen that day. So I flew on no sleep, landed in Copenhagen, and there was the poker stars party that night. And you know how those poker stars parties go, especially with all you can drink for free. Usually they would get pretty wild. So we, we drank, we drank a bunch there and we went out for like to some clubs afterwards. And eventually we were like making our way home. And we got in an uh, argument with the taxi driver because I had been, I had won a bunch of money. I was paying for a lot of things that night and all the people in the taxi were like, hey, you need to pay for the taxi too. And I'm like, oh, I'm not paying for the taxi. I'm tired of paying for things. The taxi driver heard us and got mad. He thought we were going to scam him. So he stopped at a green light and demanded that we pay right then. So I was like, bro, you're like, we're going to pay you. We're just joking around. Like, just take us back to the hotel. We'll settle up with you when we get there. And he made me like give him my credit card or whatever and swiped it. He's sitting there waiting for it to authorize. And I'm like, bro, it's authorizing. Just like, can you please drive the car and not be stopped at a green light? So he gets all upset, jumps out of the car. uh, And Carter is in the front seat. Right. And, the, and, and when the taxi driver gets out of the car, there's three of us in the back. Carter jumps from the passenger seat into the driver's seat of the taxi, pops the car in gear. And we're just like, whoa, we're not like, whoa, we're not doing this. We're not stealing a taxi cab, you know. So we all get out of the car and there's some words and, you know, some things that happen in between. And we hear, oh, he's calling the cops. So me and one of my buddies, we like run around the corner. To, to get away and it's just like a mile of fence line like there's nowhere for us to go carter just casually walks away no problem and and when the police show up uh the police are just there like instantly they stop us and and me and me alone get arrested and i was supposed to play the european poker tour the next day so i get arrested and i get taken into copenhagen jail this was probably, this is the first time I, I got arrested in a foreign country. <laughs> and uh, they, they let me go after the night, but I was like livid. I was like, yeah, yeah, I was not really happy about it. So here I, I show up the next day after getting let, let out of the drunk tank, basically. And I have to go talk to the same director of the EPT from oh, Barcelona, okay. who's going to reprimand me for the, the phone incident. And, and he, he, he just looks at me. I go up to talk to him. He just looks at me. He's like, so I heard you had quite a night last night. And I'm like, yeah, do you think I can switch my starting days to like day two? And he's like, yeah, no worries. And like, did, he didn't even care. He just thought it was funny. He's just like, look at you, man. You're a fucking mess, you know? And he was definitely right. I was a big mess back then. So yeah, the, most of my fun, like crazy drinking stories. I mean, I have a gazillion of them. Like, honestly, I could write, I could write a book about it. Yeah. Uh, most, of, most of my best ones involve Carter Gill, who is definitely one of the funniest, most ludicrous people i've met not i don't want to mean this to be like ragging on these stories to be like ragging yeah, on, yeah, yeah. the guy the guy's a legend and like i mean he eventually got banned from the world series for what like throwing some girls out of a clothes out of a window in between days of the main event and that was a big story and he went he went viral for that uh that hand where yeah it's he had ace ten, and he 10. told the guy he has ace. He told the guy he has ace queen. He's like, "You probably are gonna need a queen. They deal the river card and some yeah. queen." And Carter's expression goes from yeah. like elation to sadness, and it went viral on like Yahoo. It had like a million plus yeah. views. I mean, it was like a big deal. So I mean, Carter just like a super funny guy. Not anybody I'd really want to do business with, but 
but uh, just because his drinking's like out of control. But I had a lot of really funny stories from him from the beginning of my travels, but he didn't stick around for all that long, to be honest. You know, people come and go all the time. Yeah, of course. Movie, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you say you like a party. I remember, I think we celebrated in Malta your um, World Series of Poker Europe Berlin win. And that was yes, an epic did. night. Uh, Jeff Madsen, yourself, Feeder Holtz, Holt, sorry. Jake was there. All the dealers were there. And yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> I still think I have some pictures from that night around somewhere. I'll have to. I have a few myself. Find. I'll have to find it and send them to you just to have a little trip down memory. But that was a pretty good night. We've had a lot of good nights drinking, though. Not yes. just that. Like, we had some good nights in Prague. Yeah. Um, one I spoke to, we had Feraldo on the show in the second ever episode, and I'd said this to him. Me, Feraldo, and one of the Indian players, Arsh, were in Chapeau Rouge. And Arsh Grover, yeah. Yes. Good lad, yeah. He's a fucking good yeah. lad. Well... I had never had absinthe properly. So me and Feraldo, oh, yeah, to the bar lady, come on, let's get this absinthe. This is great. So unless you, I don't if you know, you know, if you don't, you don't, you get the spoon, you get the sugar yeah, in the spoon. spoon with the sugar and you, you pour it over the sugar. You light and then it. You, you, stir you light it, it and then you spin it. Right. So it freezes your throat so that you can't taste it properly. And then 10 minutes later, you're fucked. So yeah. obviously this hasn't hit me and Feraldo straight away. So we'll have another two. And then we'll have another two. And then a couple of Jaegers. But yeah, Arsh knows what the fuck happens here. So he's like, no, guys, I'm okay. I'll just have one. So yeah. then Feraldo's like, yeah, Kev's in the center with a couple of his mates and their girlfriends. We need to go and see Kev. So in between him speaking to you and us getting a taxi, we went from way to fucked pretty quickly. So we turn up to this restaurant where you, your mates, and their girlfriends are. And Fraldo's like... Selniche, or what is it? Selniche, Kolkovna, Selniche. Is that what yeah, it was? Yeah, that's our go-to spot. Yeah, I remember. We were down in the basement, and then yeah. one, of my, one of my buddies, we were doing absinthe shots, and I can't remember who the buddy was, but, like, we lit the things on fire, and then, like, he, like, spilled it on his arm and, like, caught fire. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, honestly. Yeah. Um, it was somebody that was, like, a big name back then, but it was so mean, funny. We were, like... We, everybody should have been helping this guy because his arm was on fire and it's oh my god. Me and Feraldo couldn't stop laughing. Oh my god, it was we so thought funny. this was just fucking hilarious. Obviously, God help the guy. We hope he's okay and all that. But fucking hell, I yeah. just you know how you catch a fit of giggles. Fuck me. Yeah, yeah did we, we go to Cross fun. Club after that then too. We went to Cross Club to finish that night, right? Yeah, we went to the Cross Club and um... man, that place. <laughs> that place is, that place levels of absolute fun. Oh my god, that place is degenerate. I mean, you—it's like anything is allowed in there. You know, you can you can do whatever you want. You know, and there's six different rooms, different kinds of music, and foosball tables all over the place, and it's all very like steampunk. And like the the liquor was like dirt cheap. I remember I'd go up to the bar and I'd order a round of shots for everybody, and they they'd they'd give me the price, and I was like, no, 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 I'm paying for all the shots. And they're like, no, that is yeah. the price. <laughs> and then eventually I was just like, okay, everybody at the bar, even if I don't know you, getting a drink. Shot, everybody, shot, shot. We we made we made a lot of friends in that club. But yeah, yeah, that's that's my that's my favorite club to go be a degenerate at for sure. Yeah, I, I do like Prague. Prague's one of my my favorite places ever. There's a few of them, but Prague's up there. Um, yeah, 
me too. Phenomenal place. So, Kev, moving on, um, we've covered all the poker. You're in Canada now. Um, <laughs> how's Tinder been going, uh, Kevin? Have you had any um, <laughs> any any sort of deliveries? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a pretty interesting story. So, uh, <laughs> so when I, I obviously I smoke a lot of weed, and it's federally legal in Canada. And I, I crossed the border in my car, so I couldn't bring anything, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I got up here, the, you're supposed to go straight to your, to your apartment to quarantine, which is exactly what I did. I didn't stop anywhere. I didn't even stop for gas. I just came straight here for quarantine. And then I'm like a day or two into quarantine. I'm like, man, I really i am stuck inside for two weeks. I really wish I had some weed. And I had called around all the shops to see if they did delivery. In fact, I had looked to see if they had drive throughs I was thinking maybe they, they told me I could do drive through food on the way up. So I was like, maybe they have drive through weed I can grab, but they didn't have that. So I got on Tinder and like, you know, Canadians kind of have a reputation for being weed smokers anyways. So I got on Tinder and I just started swiping right on like every girl I met. Uh, every girl that popped up and eventually you know I'd, I'd get quite a few matches and i'd just ask them like hey do you girls know how i can get weed here especially delivery weed and one girl who is scottish hey. very, nice, very nice girl uh she she was like i do you need anything and i was like after we've been chatting for a while i didn't lead with the weed right? I, didn't I was lead like the yeah, weed. <laughs> I, I could honestly i could honestly use some weed but like if you know somebody that delivers it i'd be happy to pay them like i was just trying to find somebody that could deliver it to me yeah, you know? yeah. and she's like she's like oh i'll bring it to you no problem so she like gets off her shift and goes and picks me up a ounce of weed and i told her you know you can't see me i'm in quarantine like i mm-hmm. can't see anybody and she's like that's fine i'll just leave it at your door and give it a knock and then that's fine and then like later that night i get a message from her and it's just a a picture of my my condo door with a package right on the front and like she didn't even knock i didn't even get to see her through the peephole or anything she came and brought me an ounce of weed didn't even ask me to pay for it right so I, I was like i'm gonna i mean i'd like to pay you back but i don't have e-transfer set up yet i just got here you know like i'll sort you out when i get out if that's okay mm-hmm. and she's like oh nonsense that's fine so she, so this this uh this girl brought me what a lovely girl brought me weed <laughs> I mean, she really just saved me. I don't know how it would be keeping my mind together. So staying indoors for two weeks by myself, you know. So that was that was pretty lovely. It just shows you to go shows you the hospitality yeah. of, of the Scottish people, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was pretty cute. Brilliant. So what's next for Kevin McPhee? Um, say say lockdown, quarantine, Corona just fucks off in the next couple of months. What's have you got any plans that you wanted to uh, do? Um, well, I mean, I'm just trying to get into my own place before the holidays, before Christmas, especially. I, I've pretty much given up on the, the idea of getting home for Thanksgiving, because every time I cross the border, when I come back, I have to quarantine again for two weeks. So, and the friends I'm going to go stay with, uh, I especially can't quarantine with them. I mean, it's not even part of the rules anyway. So yeah. if I do go back to the States, I need to come back and have my own place. So that's, that's priority number one. Um, beyond that, you know, I'm, I've, I've uh, actually just got offered a job doing commentary for an Indian poker site. They're going to do some live streams. So I'll be doing some of that next month for Spartan Poker. Uh, of course, Dylan and I went out to India 
for the PSL, I, I have a lot of friends from the Indian <laughs> poker community from over the years. And then we got invited out to go play a poker sport league there a couple years ago and, and made a lot of really good friends. And, and one of them offered me to offer me this job to do commentary. So that'll be coming up next month. Beyond that, I don't really have too many plans. I'm just going to be studying a lot of poker. I mean, like I said, it's uh, it's kind of weird getting back into it after a couple of years off. I mean, the the learning tools have just advanced so much, and like it's a, really a lot to catch up on. So I'm just trying to like not too much put my, too much pressure on myself to play a lot and study a bunch. But really, what I came up to Canada for is I want to ski. You know, like yeah. I always said, if I wasn't traveling the poker circuit, I would just ski all the time. I've been skiing since I was old enough to walk, basically. And it's just a real passion of mine. It's one of my favorite hobbies. It's good exercise, fresh air. And there's world-class resorts all around this area. So I'm just going to get a ski past all of those and hopefully make some friends to go out skiing with. If not, I'll just go out by myself. And uh, that's really my only plan for the winter is just ski my way through COVID. And hopefully by the time the spring hits, this will be gone. Uh, I don't think it will necessarily, but no. uh, I think it could be going on for quite a bit, quite a bit longer, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I wish you good luck with that. Uh, ladies uh, that are in the area, Kev's free, single, and needs weed. You know, <laughs> ad addressing the bio, addressing the bio. But it has been a pleasure, Kevin. Time's flown pie, and uh, hopefully we'll catch you at a bar somewhere or over the felt somewhere. You take care of yourself. Well, Thanks very much, my friend. I appreciate the time, Ross. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care.